Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's Two Saints podcast show with myself, Mark C, and my co-host, Mark H. How you doing there, Mark? Yeah, not too bad, mate. You know, brilliant start to the new year, you know. Um, not bad, it? Point by the result on Monday night, obviously. Um, and, and you know, I'll do this before we kick off, but, uh, you know, as they used to say in episodes of Rob C. Nesbitt in Scotland, get it right up you, Jimmy! <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, and just to celebrate that as well, we've got you a little snippet of uh, Fiesta, this is called. So enjoy this for two seconds and we'll be straight back. <laughs> Right, there you go. Brilliant dulcet fiesta. Love that. It's brilliant. <laughs> and as Mark said, have it right up your Jamie Carragher. <laughs> so, coming up for you in the first half of today's busy pod, the two Saints review of Saints 1 at Liverpool Neil. Yes, you heard that correctly. Saints 1 at Liverpool Neil and Saints FC News. So, Saints kick off the new year in style, Mark. Ralph Hassenhutl bursting with pride. Fraser Forster, it's great to be back. And Ralph Hassenhutl explaining his emotional reaction at the end of the Liverpool win. Um, absolutely brilliant. What a way to start the new year, beating the reigning champions. Yeah. And for I mean, the seventh it, time for Saints, beating the reigning champions, no less. I mean, I, I, I mean that, that to me isn't really... I mean, yeah, OK, I get it. But it, it, it's small. But it goes back to being a small club again, you know? Yeah, That's yeah, absolutely. Sort of thing. You want to be doing that, you know. But anyway, um, what I was going to say, Mark, was I, I just... The thing is, everything fell into place. If you look at yep. if you look at Monday night's game, um, you know we, we scored early, which basically meant that Liverpool had to come out and play. And well, the problem was going into the game, we, we didn't know what to think, did we? Because the Saints squad was quite weakened, the team was quite weakened, obviously. Yeah, well, but the thing is, is like you know, I, I like I kind of get that, you know, because obviously Oriol Romeo was missing. Yep. You know, you, you had Shea Adams was missing, you know, and Vestergaard's missing. But, and Alex McCarthy, four key players, really. But I think, I think to be honest, Mark, you know, you know, I, I don't want to ham it up too much in the sense of, like, I, t- I turn around to think to myself, well, Liverpool weren't in great form going into it. Um, we, yeah, weren't. we weren't. No, but, we weren't. But the difference, the difference was, was, we got our noses in front, which was vital. You know, probably, probably the best finish for me from Danny Ings. Oh. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's not but but I would say for me that was probably his best finish. Um, yeah, that for me demonstrated why he was in the England team. That was a world class finish. Yeah, you know, again, that's all to do with awareness on the pitch, and then yeah. you know, awareness where others are. In terms of your, yep. you know, the opposition goalkeeper and stuff like that, but um, you know, the other the other thing that I was going to say was, but that that goal then helped to facilitate the fact that Liverpool then had to come out and play. They had right. a makeshift centre half, 
you know, and the yep. thing is, is they've had a makeshift centre-half partnership since the start of December. It's just that teams don't seem to have been able to sort of exploit them or whatever. And I, and I, do, I do think that, you know, us scoring at the time when we did so early on, it, it was key to the victory itself, you know. Um, yeah, because because everybody the man applied themselves even you know even Phil Walcott who didn't get one of the hash ratings from me personally but you know everybody applied themselves in the jobs that they had to do yeah you know? I think it's fair to say everybody to a man left it on the pitch didn't they they left nothing in the changing room oh yeah no 100 percent yeah I mean I, I just I just think to myself that as well, the other thing that kind of helped was with Liverpool having to come out and play, you know, um, it meant that it also left gaps on the on the odd occasion when we were able to go forward. I mean, we had the Nathan Tala chance, and we also had oh, the Jan Valerie chance. Yep. You know? Well, the only thing that stopped Jan Valerie scoring was the, the thickness of uh, Alisson's calf muscle, I think you'd probably say, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, How lucky I mean, it, he get? It, it clearly hits the inside of his calf, doesn't it? So, yeah. oh. you know, so and looked before that, like it was going in for all money, and it probably yeah. would have went sore in. But um, you know, in relation to everything else as well, um, just talking about the the game as a whole. I mean, the only the only other criticism or the only criticism I would really have would be sort of. You know, it was great to have Fraser back and it's going to take, you know, time. Uh, and I hope that he, he gets a couple of games under his belt with Alex now, obviously. All I want to say is, Fraser, please try and catch the ball. Yes. I mean, I'm, not knocking him. I'm not knocking him at all, but please try and catch it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is, Mark, there was times when the ball was going straight to his hands and yeah. he punched it and you're sort of sat there and you're going, you know, make make the catch. You not make the save, but make the catch. You know, make the catch. Do you think that was, think that was more a uh, keeper that was a little bit rusty, basically giving yeah. himself a little bit of security by punching it rather than catching it in case he dropped it? Do you think that's what it was? Maybe where he's a little bit rusty, he wasn't taking the chance of catching it. Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely the case, man. I think you know, there, there's a lot of times where. You know, okay, they weren't going to score anything, but he was scrambling about doing a lot of star jumps and things like that. <laughs> if you noticed, you know. Um, in fairness, although it was offside, he did actually save one from Salah by doing that, didn't he? Yeah, spread himself he did. and break free. He, did, so that was yeah, a good he did. You know, I'm I'm to him. You know, the thing is, is Rome wasn't built that day. He's I'm I'm glad to have him back. Yeah, you me both. I still think in the goal he's actually a bigger presence than Alex McCarthy, funnily enough. Is is it, it, I've, been, I've, I've been thinking about this in hindsight, Mark, since Monday night, to be fair. Is it a coincidence that with Fraser in goal, the back four seemed to lift their game and they were on a different level to what they've been recently? Or was it just the fact that they were just up for it? Or do you think it was the fact that Fraser no, think, was there and giving a, that more commanding figure in the box? Do you think that raised the game for the defenders? There's probably there's probably an element of truth to what you say because, you know, the thing is is obviously Fraser coming back. Now he's training, but you know, match match scenarios completely different. So you're a little bit rusty, and you know, our back four would have been aware of that. 
they're experienced enough. I mean, you got you got Bertram there, you got Bednarek, and you got Stevens, right? Yeah. You know, they're, they're all sort of upper, you know, over 100 appearances, I would have thought by now, yeah, right? And then you've got Kyle well, Walker, Peter. Sorry, yeah. you've got Kyle Walker-Peters, who has the relevant Premier League experience. But it, it wasn't just it wasn't just that, though, Mark, because, like I said, the, you had the midfielders, you know, our central midfielders were working so deep that they were on top, you know, at times they were on top of the defence because yeah. they were having to come get the ball and then try and play it out. And the one that was having the most joy in that regard was was Ward Price, but the one that was probably the most physical, I suppose, and and was my man of the match was Diallo because because oh, of the tackles that he was putting in. You I'll know, he, for a goals, he had to rate the win. I'll tell you what, for a twenty-one-year-old, what a what a little gem we've on our there. Yeah, I mean, like the thing is, is it's only a second game, and yeah. you know, let let's hope that. The, the form that he showed against Liverpool, you know, you want that to continue for whatever he is planned, you know? Well, the thing is, well, I mean, the team was missing a few first-team regulars. It actually contained 11 players that originated from the club's academy. And Ralph Aston, who actually reserved praise for the impact of the younger members of the squad on a special night, and he said, I can't say how proud I am of my team. I think the mentality we showed today was the perfect one. The young lads came in, did a great job, defended unbelievably well. Don't know if we had more mentality in the other team, but we wanted it more. This why we threw a fanatic. Um, this for me, absolutely amazing. Yes, we must have the perfect day, and it was the perfect day. Now I can retire. He added while laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can ride off into the sunset now, Ralph. Cheers. <laughs> not, not quite, yeah, Ralph. Not quite. No, no, no. Hasn't finished yet, but anyway. But um, no, I mean, look, the the bottom line was. We knew that it was going to take a, a performance where we were at least going to have to raise our game. Our, our perspective of how Liverpool's form was going into the game, you know, they, you know, they hadn't, they, you know, they drew their last two games and they didn't look convincing in the yeah. two draws that they had. Let's be honest, but you know, but beside, you know, that that aside. We knew that we'd still have to raise our game. You know, they've still got quality people going forward. Absolutely you know, right. they've still got quality midfielders. They've still got quality fullbacks. You know, and a quality goalkeeper. It's just that, it's just that you know they're struggling for centre halves at the moment. But but that shouldn't detract from the performance on Monday night, Mark. I mean, as I said, we had more than just the goal that was taken. You yeah. know, and and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, is I just felt that everybody knew what they were meant to be doing, and obviously Absolutely. they'd worked on it and training, or at least some sort of clear instruction had been given yep. by Ralph. And I think, I think as well, you know, let, let's remember also that was his for you know his first game back since the the COVID thing, you know, because oh, okay. obviously he missed the he missed the West Ham game, so it just shows. Yeah. The influence that he does have. Well, it's also the first time that he's actually beaten Klopp, isn't it? And that, that meant a lot to him as well, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't tend to, I don't tend to read too much into that, Mark. I mean, I I, I, as I've as I've said before, you know, Ralph has stated on several occasions that when we're playing one of the big six sides, right, 
he yeah. tries to treat it as a Champions League game. But the thing is, as well, I couldn't help thinking, Mark, as well, that maybe what got to Ralph as well was the fact that, you know, we beat the reigning champions at home, and maybe a little part of Ralph was a little bit gutted that the fans weren't there to see it. So maybe that played a little part in his emotions as well. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the, the emotions thing, I mean, I, don't don't get me wrong, I got it. You know, at, at the end of the day, it was a, it was, it was a tram week. It's probably been a tram time all around yeah. for him. Um, you know, and the, the thing is, is like, when you've sort of, let's say, broken the dock, you know, um, yeah. and I'm talking about specifically in terms of Liverpool and, yeah, yeah. Everything like that, you know. Why, why would you not? Why, given given that he wasn't on the sidelines for the last game, why wouldn't he be a little bit emotional about everything that's kind of gone before? So it's not, it's not a problem. I mean, to be honest with you, Mark, I can't. Re- I mean, I know you were living about somebody else, but the one, the one person that's you know, really irritated me this week is Fabian Capello. I mean, the guy doesn't even manage in England. I mean, he's not, you know, is he the national manager still? You know, and I just sort of sit there and I think to myself, you know, you're not even involved in football in this country anymore. So why why is what you've got to say relevant? I've got two words for Fabio Capello. Anger management. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, I just don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't, you know, at at the end of the day, there must, there must be some some managers out there that kind of get it and they sort of sit and think to themselves, well, he's had a bit of a trad week or a trad, you know, couple of weeks, you know, and that's just a, re- a release of all the emotion, all the built up emotion. And and everything else, you know, and, yeah. and it is a feather in his cap at the end of the day. Look, look, we as fans complain when managers don't show emotion. Yeah, look, yeah, look yeah, at Sven yeah. Goran Erksen when he was the England manager, right? You know, but what I'm saying is, we as fans complain when when we don't when managers don't show emotion, and then when they do show emotion, we complain. Well, what would you rather see? Would you rather see Ralph Asenu when it's pouring down around at St Mary's, um, showing emotion or whatever, or would you rather have some idiot like the Wally with the brolly, Steve McLaren, stood on the sidelines with an umbrella up with no emotion whatsoever? Because I know what I'd rather see. I'd rather see Ralph Asenu with a bit of emotion, Mark, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, definitely. As, <laughs> as long as you're not going to incent a rat, I don't see no. what the problem is. You know, I mean, the yeah. thing is, is I, I do famously remember when Graham Souness was Galatasaray manager and he famously got a flag and stuck the Galatasaray flag, you know, on the pitch of their deadliest rivals, which, you know, in hindsight, you don't really want to be doing things like that in Turkey, to be fair. You know, not at at your deadliest rival, even though you've won the title, not at your deadliest rivals, you know, Home blank, you know that. Yeah, that's... I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you might as well go and lay a shot in the centre circle at Boca Juniors if you're a River Plate player, isn't you? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, there, there is there is things where you sort of sit there and go, that goes a little bit too far. But you know, so, so, uh, Monday night was none of that. It was none of that. It was just it was just an outpouring of relief, emotion. 
all those things, you know, and because uh, we'll, we'll tell you, mate, it's not an easy job being Southampton manager because, you know, a bit, bit like Sean Dyche and, and clubs like that in the Premier League, you know, you're you're working on next to, next to sort all money. Let's yeah. be honest about it, you know. You know, he also lost his first choice keeper. Obviously, Alex McCarthy's out. Fraser Forster yeah. came in. Um, Fraser himself said, great result first and foremost. It's tough when you're not playing as you're a bit rusty. I think the lads in front of me were fantastic. Really limited the number of opportunities, which are few and far between. Everyone defended, especially in the second half, from front to back. It was a fantastic team performance. Maybe not our best performance on the ball, but out of possession, we were great. It's an unbelievable result in the end. I've not played 90 minutes since football stopped before the first lockdown. So you're looking at the best part of nine, ten months. So I was a bit rusty. Came in, tried to do my best. I'm just thankful to be back playing. It's a long time since I played here. It's fantastic to be in for a club I love. The manager's got the team playing in a fantastic way. Such a good way of playing football. So to be a part of that's fantastic. And I want to do what I can to help the club and move forward, however that is. And that kind of epitomises the whole thing, doesn't it? Really? Yes. You know, yeah. everyone's attitude is the impact Ralph's had on everyone, the positivity that's flowing for everyone. And quite clearly, Fraser's not been part of that, but he feels part of that. Because he's been part of that squad where that camaraderie is there and that emotion is there. So he's obviously benefited from it as well. The, the, the bottom line was, you know, in the summer, he made it clear that he wasn't interested in going anywhere. Now, yep. you know, I can I can sit here with you and be, a, be cynical and say, of course, he's not going anywhere because no one's going to, you know, bid for him because of the wages yep. that he's on at Southampton, yep. right? But... But, it, but at the same time, Mark, at the same time, you know, he made it clear in the summer that it was his intention to fight for his place and he wasn't he wasn't Absolutely. going anywhere, right? And he, he's been true to you know, he's been true to his word. He's had the weight, obviously, you know, to this has happened to Alex. But you know, he's come in and he's done his job. You know, he's kept a clean sheet, albeit with the help of you know, good defend as Ralph says, good defend them from the from the from the back. You yeah, know, definitely. Definitely. yep, uh, it has been it has been good defending front to back. And to be fair, that's been the entire season, hasn't it? Saints' defensive record's been really good. To be fair to them, just yeah, the attacking well, it, down it, a bit now. It has, in, <laughs> it has in recent times, yes. So um, that brings us to the end of our review of Saints one Liverpool nil. So they, I still can't believe that sixth in the table, everyone as well. Great stuff, still in the mix, as I say. Which is great yep, stuff, still in the mixer. Right, so we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll do Saints FC news for you. It's the it's Two Marks CNH on the Two Saints Show, Fiesta 95 FM. Right, welcome back, everybody. So we'll go through the headlines for Saints FC news for you, and then we'll come back to the start. Ralph Hassan-Hootle says 2020 has been a big step forward. New deal for Stuart Armstrong. Stuart Armstrong says the last 12 months have been his best. Oriel Romayu could miss up to two weeks of a calf problem. The ticket office is closed as of this week, and the women's league fixtures have been suspended. So, starting with Ralph Hassan, 2020 has been a big step forward, Mark. Um, I have to agree with him, I think, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know... The, the, I think it's got a lot to do, but it's... got to look at it in, in sort of... Obviously, this is us looking at it in reflection of the yeah. 2020 as a year for Saints. And yeah. I would say that, you know... Because I, I kind of include the Christmas New Year period in that because obviously we had a we had a slight resurgence, you know, 
the December and the Jan and the January. Um, yep. We had wins. We had wins away at Chelsea, Aston Villa, and Crystal Palace, just to mention a few. And yep. obviously, we had the big win against Tottenham at home on New Year's Day. Um, so, you know, there, there was a platform there, but the, the, the strange kind of thing was that from the end of January till basically lockdown, I, I mean, at the last fixture, if people remember, was at home to Newcastle on March the 11th. And it's actually interesting, Mark, and I wasn't, I wasn't aware of this before the Liverpool game. Sorry to interrupt that. I'm just no bringing, this is quite an important thing to bring in at this point. Um, before the Liverpool game, no, I wasn't actually aware of this, but um, Saints' last shutout, secured by virtue of a goalless draw of West Ham, took their 2020 tally to 56 points from 34 matches, which was the fifth highest total in the Premier League. But also, it was also the first time Ralph Asnut was denied West Ham victory in five attempts. And that basically meant that going into the game against Liverpool on Monday, it actually left Liverpool as the only team, which was Saints' first place. To 2021 actually left them as the only team that Ralph Hasenhutl has not taken points against. Yeah. Now that in yeah. itself, I'd say, is a step forward, definitely. I, I actually, I actually read that start, and and actually, I did mention to you about the West Ham start as well because he, he I, don't, I don't know why, I don't know why he struggles against West Ham, but anyway, that's neither yeah. here nor there. Get yeah. back to the years old. So the thing, the thing yeah. was, was like, like I said, we had that. Sort of December January period, uh, you know, early in the year, and we're we're looking well set. And then obviously yeah. we had a slump from sort of end of January till you know the basically football shut down on the eleventh of March. Yeah. You know, and we, we had a slump in that sort of six week period, or you know, and we weren't doing anything. Mark, we could we couldn't win. A game of tiddlywinks, basically. <laughs> and, and, well, honestly, couldn't win yeah. a game of tiddlywinks in that in that period, right? And then obviously we shot down, and thankfully we were able to press the reset button because you know I think a lot I think a lot of credits got to go to the nutritionists and the fitness people who were obviously yeah. keeping an eye on on the shape of the players. During the lockdown, you know, I'm told that they were they were having the way in every day and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, obviously there, the thing is, is quickly a plan obviously was put in place and everybody had their own individual. I mean, I would have thought during a season you've got your own individual things to work on anyway. But the thing is, is, yeah, you know, the at least there was some sort of preparedness for for this kind of event to happen. And lo and behold, the restart, you know, happened. And Saints basically didn't look back from that period. I mean, it, it, it sounds a bit ironic, but even at the start of this season, you know, when we lost to Crystal Palace, I was sat there and I'm thinking, well, that's an inauspicious start. But apart from yep. apart from that, going out to Brentford in the in the uh, Caribou Cup, which I obviously call the League Cup, you know, um, yep. apart from those two results, you know, you've got to say that you know this season, 
and even even the restart part of last season, it's been an unmitigated success. Oh, absolutely. Top, 100%. top to bottom, you know. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. 100%. Yeah, and um, part of the reason for that success is actually the gentleman who's the subject of our next article, Mark, which is Stuart Armstrong. And he's been part of that, hasn't he? Part of the unmitigated success. And he's actually made 79 appearances in total for the club now, since from Celtic in 2018. And in those 79 appearances, has returned 11 goals for Saints. Yeah. So those? And seven that. of those have come during 2020. I've got, I've got to say that's very, very impressive. You know, go, and seven of those, Mark, seven of those have come in two. Yes, no, given, given the basically, given the basically, he plays in that, you know, what I call him between the lines, and he, he's yeah. really good at doing it. Um, yeah, you know, you know, you mentioned about the incident that happened during the Liverpool games, and. The Liverpool game, and I'll just let you remind the listeners of that um, because he played a significant um, part in the goal. Oh, that, that I thought what is excellent. Um, yeah, obviously, James Walpress floats in the free kick for Danny Ings. What Stuart Armstrong's done while well, the referee's looking the other way, he's actually pushed Jordan Henderson into a position that plays Danny Ings clean on side. Absolutely genius moment. So, absolutely brilliant. Great thinking from Armstrong. Um, and yeah, got to, obviously managed to pull it off because the ref wasn't looking. But he actually pushes Jordan Henderson into the penalty area, which plays Danny Ings on side. Absolutely fantastic. It just shows he uses his brain. And I'm not surprised. I mean, obviously, back in 2018, he was studying for uh, for a degree, which he went in pass mark. So uh, not only is he quite a good footballer, he's also quite clever. And he proved it with that free kick, obviously. Yeah, I but, mean, um, yeah, I thought he played that role really well during that game. To be fair, against Liverpool. I mean, I, I have to say, I have to say, Mark, that you know he has he has had you know one or two. Well, one low moment, I suppose, would be this year was you know when he when he tested positive for coronavirus, or he yeah. was it, he tested positive, or he he come into contact with somebody that meant that he had to go into isolation anyway. Sorry. Sorry if I've got that wrong. But, um, you know, I think as a consequence of that, he did struggle a little bit for form. Um, but it, it's a strange one because when I look at the options that we'll have whenever he doesn't play and, you know, for whatever reason would decide to put him on the bench, I I, I just think he plays every, every time for me. Uh, you know, in, in terms of... Even when he's having an off day, I still think to myself he's the one person that you sort of, you know, because he's on the pitch, you just think to yourself, well, something might happen there with him, you know. And, and you know, he, he's not mercurial in that sense, but he, he does bring something that's very, very different to any other Saints player to the party. Yeah, right. Well, and... What he does bring is is enabled him to establish himself as a key player in Rafa Sanuto's squad, um, and he's been obviously rewarded with a new three and a half year contract, which is fantastic. And he himself, um, Rafa Sanuto said he's very happy with the news. Stuart's a very smart player, someone who's important for our team. He's become more comfortable and confident in the number ten position. It's been pleasing to see the development he's made as a result of the work he's done with us on this, which I. I totally agree with Stuart Armstrong himself. Said it's a great club to be a part of. A club that has a feel of positivity and heading in the right direction. I'm very happy. It's a great club. We're doing well. Very positive. To extend my time and be part of the club going into the future, something I'm very happy about. 
which is great. And he feels that he's played his best football in the last twelve months. Yeah, Can't argue I'm, sure, that. I'm sure the I'm sure the club feel that it was a, a nice easy contract to be able to do because I don't Absolutely. you know I don't think with Stuart Armstrong you know the the contract thing is ever an issue you know unless he wanted yeah. he was feeling homesick or anything like that but given the Absolutely last twelve right. months that he has had more you know you're not gonna be wanting to go home you know. While the, while the team are playing such good football, and you're you personally, you know, and, and this is the this is the thing that gets me about what's going on, going on with some Saints players at the minute. Because the thing is, is yeah. Stuart Armstrong recognizes that he's in a good place, his football's in a good place. So why wouldn't he sign a new deal? But but the other thing I'm going to go back to, Mark, is I think as a as a Saints fan for me. I think you can trace back, and like I, I totally agree with Stuart when he says the last twelve months have been the be- the best of his career because you can, you can trace it back basically to Boxing Day against Chelsea uh, last season, and he was phenomenal in that game for me, you know, and, and Saints ran out two 0 winners, and I think basically from from there. You know, like like he said, the last twelve months has been immense for him, really. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. So, Oru Romeo could be missing for up to two weeks with a calf problem, which probably would have worried me if it wasn't for the form of Ibrahim Diallo, who, as you said, came on against Liverpool, played really well. So, I'm a little bit less concerned about Romeo being out now because we seem to have, for the moment, until it all goes horribly wrong, we seem to have a, a quite apt and quite able deputy, Mark. Yeah, oh yeah, no. I mean, look. The thing is, is you never want to speak too soon. Um, exactly. But the but the one thing that you can say about Diallo before I go on the review, the one the one thing that you can say about Diallo is that you know his first appearance against Fulham, he looked competent. He didn't. You know, yeah. the thing is, is he didn't put a foot wrong, right? Yeah. But you weren't you weren't necessarily sitting there thinking he's sat in the world alight here. Whereas well. Whereas, I will say this: there was one tackle during that Liverpool game, Mark, where he did. Yeah, no. When no, he recovered, no, no, I can't remember how no, far he ran. Mark, you misunderstand me. I'm talking about the Fulham game. Well, oh, yeah, 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 Fulham, yeah, Fulham game, he yeah. was tidy, but he didn't yep. set the world alight. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. But, but the thing is, is roll up, roll that on the Monday night. Yeah, yeah. And and it was, you know, he was the standout performer. And yeah, yeah. the thing is, is while I turned around and I say. You know, you probably won't be expecting that every week. Yep. You, you'd like to think that he can bring that level of performance to the right, party right. as often as he can. And if he right, can, me, if he can, well, then we've got a diamond player. Oh, yeah. Well, one thing it epitomised his performance against Liverpool was at one point during, I think it might have been the second half, he made a huge recovering run. He came from sort of central midfield right into the Saints penalty area and put a tackle in, in the penalty area, which stopped a certain goal for Liverpool. And I thought, do you know what? That was a challenge of the game. Absolutely superb. I think he'd run 60, 70 yards to get there. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant recovering tackle. Nobody else obviously caught the runner, but he did. And I thought that just epitomised his performance. I mean, the, the, the hope the hope for me would be that you know you worry of course because the, it's the stepping stone scenario right but I mean the thing is is I don't see any reason why he would I don't know the mentality of the lad so I'm hoping that you know he just 
you know, he hasn't come here and, you know, as soon as he's turned a few heads, you know, he's he's looking to move. But you, you'd like to think that, you know, he's going to be here for some considerable time. And the, the, the good thing really is, is that, you know, when Romeo gets back fit, he's got a fight on his hands to get the starting berth back again. And ultimately, that's what you want in your football club where everybody's proud. You know, the thing is, is I, I know that we don't have the numbers, right? And I know we're not, you know, we don't have the fan base of, you know, a big six or whatever. But the point is that, you know, the thing is, is that it's good to have healthy competition and ultimately Saints would still be looking for to make sure that they have got cover and competition Absolutely. in every position on the park. Whether that's not. through whether that's through squad players that aren't playing or academy players that are coming through the under twenty threes B system. But the thing is, being the academy or players we're recruiting, it's been a while since we've had any young players we could get sort of really excited about or get quite excited about. And I think Diallo's one of those. And if he's if he's the kind of future of the club and if those are the sorts of players they're looking at, then the future could be a bright one. It could be a fairly good one if those are the sorts of potential players they're looking at. Because um, players with that sort of potential that like he's got, um, uh, uh, not a dime a dozen. They are a rare find. And I think if you manage your unearth these gems that he appears to be, um, then it's it's reason to get excited a little bit, and we don't always get excited as Saints fans, and we haven't had a lot of excitement for a while, have we? So it's nice to finally have another youngster in the team that we're getting quite excited about. No, definitely, definitely. We have, the other the other thing that I just want to say, I just want to add this as a footnote. You know, please, people, trust me when I say, when Salasu is eventually fit, he will be a good player for Saints. You know, I've seen some of the footage of him, right? All right, there's obviously injury worries, concerns, you know, yeah. breaking down, whatever it is. But, yeah. you know, when Saints get it right, we am, and they will get it right, we have fitness wise and, yeah. you know, maintaining his, maintaining his fitness. But when they do it, you know, I, I, I reckon we'll have another player, you know, and, and yeah, the thing is, is like, you know, Please, people, don't be having a meltdown about Salasu because trust, trust me, you know the club. Well, I, I, I know I'm, I'm probably putting all my eggs in one basket, and I'm probably going to end up my egg on the face mark, right? But I, I genuinely don't think this is a Diego, you know, uh, forum, Mister Forum. You know, I don't God think it's one of those. No, I agree. And the thing is, for anybody who's not sure, look, look at the quality of opposition that Salasu's played against, Kay. Look at some of the players he's played against. You don't become a bad player overnight. And remember one thing, everybody. This is Southampton Football Club, the same Southampton Football Club, whose medical team got Danny Ings back to full fitness, despite his previous injury worries. They will get Gineppe fit. They will get Salasu fit because they did it with Danny Ings. And remember, these guys are younger than Danny Ings. Diallo's 21. He's, he's obviously not injured. Salasu, 21 years old, a lot younger than Danny Ings. He will heal a lot quicker. So remember that. It's the same medical team that got Danny Ings back and fully firing and fully fit. So they can do it and they probably will. And I agree with you, Mark. And he is the future of the club, as they said. You know, and the thing is, is it doesn't, it, it's not that relevant at the minute, Mark, because the thing is, is the half centre halves, I mean, you yep. know, Vesta Guard isn't going to be out for that 
long, and obviously yeah. you've got Stevens there, so it's not it's not like he's a must have at the moment. You know, I'd be way more frustrated if it was if it was a case of he was playing for the first team and he got injured. You know, you know, yeah, and, and he was having the problems that he's having, but it's yeah. not that. Actually, right. So yeah, um, as I say, really, really pleased we've got Diallo and he looks a prospect and I can't wait to see Salisu fit as well, which will be good. But anyway, I just want to touch on Romeo, getting back to Romeo, mate. The thing about Oriol is is that in the last few, like basically I'd say the last what, since since lockdown more or less, right? Or during lockdown. I mean, I I think he looks a lot fitter. Than what he was, yeah. um, you know, he seems. He, it seems that he is a little bit quicker than what he was. I, you know, yeah. not not significantly. You know, deceptively slightly a bit quicker, and hopefully that will mean that because his fitness levels are so good, you know, the injury won't be impacted on him too much. I mean, I know they said yeah. what would they say two weeks, you know? Yeah. The, the, the chances are he's probably going to be back in contention for the game against Leicester, you know, next yep. uh, next Saturday. So, yep, you know, I think it's a case of watch this space, but it'll be interesting to see if Diallo retains the shirt, Mark. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, definitely. Yeah, and we'll, we'll watch this space and monitor that situation and see what happens. But um, all good at the moment. So, moving on, the ticket office is closed this week. Now, this was announced on the on Tuesday. Due to the ongoing Tier 4 restrictions in Southampton, the club confirmed that the ticket office will not open this week. Fans can contact the ticket office at ticketoffices at saintsfc.co.uk if they've got any queries, but the ticket and phone lines and windows at St Mary's will be unavailable. The club will provide regular updates on the ticket office's opening hours. So stay posted on those. Um, keep an eye on the website, etc. And any changes will be announced to everybody. So moving on from there to the news of the... The Southampton's FC Women's League fixtures have been suspended until further notice. This follows the latest restrictions announced by the government in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The FA confirmed the halt of all training and fixtures across non-elite football in England following Monday night's news, meaning the FA Women's National League has been put on hold. Saints, who are currently top of the Division 1 Southwest standings, have been next scheduled to host Brislington on Sunday. That game will no longer go ahead as planned. Any further updates on the team's league fixtures will be communicated once known. And with the Vitality Women's FA Cup also suspended for now, Saints' second-round fixture at home to Plymouth also remains on hold, which is very bad news for them, Mark, and I do feel for them um, because they're actually flying, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it, man, it is so frustrating that this is, you know, effectively it's going to be the second time where the league basically gets abandoned, right? Saints have been leading it for the second time, you know, and they're... It just looks like they're not going to get their just desserts, you know. And, it, and all it stems from is basically, you know, to use a better metaphor, saying since women are playing kind of non-league football, if they were yep. playing league football, it would be looked at as elite. So they'd be playing if they were in the championship, because there's only two levels for the women, right? The championship yep. and the Premier League. You know, and if they were playing in either of those weeks, you know, they'd, they'd be playing week in, week out. But because because they're not, you know, they kind of... I don't want to use the word get penalised because it's the same for everybody, but 
I just, it, it's, it's a choker. It's a choker, Mark, especially given that last season, you know, they were in the same position. They were cruising the league, you know, and to mentally come back and attune yourself to do that again, you know, and, and they were on course for doing it again. In fact, the points tally probably would have been more this time, right? Um, you know, and, and um, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm devastated for them, to be honest, mate. Yeah, me I mean, too. the thing is, I can reveal to you as well that there's talk about in the, in the Women's FA Cup, they're now talk because of the fixtures and stuff like that there, they're now talking about the side and FA Cup fixtures by the toss of a coin. Have you ever heard anything so ridiculous in all your life? No, Mark, it, is, it is, as you say, absolutely ridiculous. It you really know? is staggering. Yeah, we do feel for them. Um, let's just hope there's light at the end of the tunnel and at some point they manage to get back on track. And let's hope they go on from where they are and they actually win the league, Mark. <clears throat> yes, no, definitely, so, mate. That brings us to the end of that section and the first part of the pod show uh, podcast today. So coming up in the next part of the podcast, we have a few other football news and Saints in the press. So we'll be back very shortly and we'll crack on with that for you. It's Mark C and Mark H. Mark my word, they're here with everything in the Two Saints show. All right, welcome back, everybody. So other football news. Tommy Doherty, the former Man United and Scotland boss, has passed away at the age of 92 following a long illness. As a player, he made more than 300 appearances for Preston and won 25 caps for Scotland. He went on to manage 12 clubs, leading Chelsea to League Cup success in 1965 and Man United to a 2-1 win over Liverpool in the 1977 FA Cup final. Tommy passed away peacefully, surrounded by his family at home, his family said in a statement. He was a much-loved husband, father and papa and will be terribly missed. We ask that our privacy be respected at this time. Doherty, affectionately known by his nickname The Doc, passed away at his home in the northwest of England on the 31st of December. After spouse managing Chelsea, Rotherham, QPR, Aston Villa and Porto, he took over as Scotland boss in September 1971 on a temporary basis before getting the job full-time two months later. But, however, he would probably be best known for his five-year spell at Man United, who approached him to succeed Franco Farrell in December 1972, while Scotland were on course to qualify for the 1974 World Cup Finals. They were actually relegated under Tommy Doxy, weren't they, Mark? But, um... Very, very sad news there that uh, former Man United and Scotland boss Tommy Doherty has passed away. Uh, great friend of Laurie McMenemy's, I understand, as well. Def- definitely, mate. I mean, the thing is, is like, I, I lost count the amount of times that I turned up at anniversary events in the city. Um, yep. You know, and Tommy was always there. You know, he was always invited along. And I think, you know, the friendship basically blossomed from the from the FA Cup win because yes. the thing is, is Tommy Doherty, I've never heard a manager so gracious in defeat. And I think during the times... Yeah, and a man United manager gracious in defeat at that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is, is it, it was, um, you know, it, to me it's telling that, you know, I think he actually got what winning a major trophy meant to the city. Um, yeah. Because, because obviously through coming down for the different events and stuff like that as well. But like like I said, you wouldn't get anybody being that gracious in the in this day and age. 
And, you know, more party as elbow, but Man United actually came back the following season, as you pointed out. And, you know, and I remember him saying after they'd lost to Southampton, he said, you know, he said, he looked into the TV, like the, the camera, you know, in the TV screen, and basically turned around and, you know, said to the Man United fans, you know, we'll be back next year and we'll win the cup and let no more bed. You know, I think the thing the thing is the thing to point out about the about him going down the United, you've got to remember that he went in the United at the time and he had an aging team, right? You know, you still had Best, you still had, you know, uh Bobby Charlton, you still had Dennis Law, people like that. I mean, and it was difficult, but he got he got rid of them. You know, and and that was probably what was needed. Okay, Bobby Charlton retired, but the other two, you know, Dennis Law went and played for Man City and actually actually condemned United the relegation that season, um, which was the ironic thing because he looked Dennis Law when he backheeled the ball into the back of the net for Manchester City looked as white as a ghost when he did it, you know, and there was no celebration at all from him. And it was his last, I think I'm right in saying it was his last kick in league football. But but having said that, Mark, um, you know, what what he did was he turned around the fortunes, you know, and, you know, they came up the following season. He had young talents like uh, Gordon Hill, uh, Jerry Daly, um, I'm trying to think, Lou McCarry. And, and you know, and he had a host of he had a host of players from my homeland, you know, young David yeah. McCreary, young Sammy McElroy, young Jimmy Nickel, you know, and they, they all came they all came into the team and their brand of football, to be fair to him, like the brand of football was exciting. But the thing the thing that interested me about Tommy Doherty is is like if you listen to any of the interviews that he ever gave you know, he'll always say that his biggest achievement was the team that he built at Chelsea, you know? So, as I say, there was that. And then, obviously, his biggest regret was leaving the Scotland job because they were well on course to basically qualify for the 74 World Cup with him. And the guy who took, took over, a guy called Wally Ormond, I mean... He struggled to get them over the line, even though, you know, they were they were coasting the qualification under Tommy Doherty. But the thing is, is it's very it's very difficult when you're you're shot. You know, he he relayed the story. He'd gone down to watch United play, and he'd been asked if he was prepared, you know, to go and sit in the director's block box, yeah. and that was when, uh, you know, Matt Busby actually approached him, but. The, you know, I always, I always have a degree of sympathy for Tommy Doherty because the thing is, is, you know, he wasn't fired because of football and reasons. You know, he was, he was, right. he was basically got rid of by <clears throat> the Manchester United hierarchy because he had an affair, he had an affair with Laurie Brown, who was the physio at Manchester United, and you know, the thing is, is. You know, Matt Busby wouldn't back him about it, right? And the 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 thing about it is, Mark is he married Mary Brown, 
you know, he, mar- he married the woman concerned, right? And they've lived together happily for the rest, you know, for the rest yep. of their lives. And, yep. and, you know, I just, it was poor, it was poor play because, you know, the quote that was attributed to Matt Busby at the time was, we can't have this at Manchester United Football Club. And, and you know, and like, like I say, the, you know, I, I just thought, the United team was going to take off, you know, yeah. under him because he was, you know, he's a charismatic manager. And if you think about it, you know, the replacement for him was Dave Saxton. Now, there's nothing wrong with Dave Saxton. He's a great coach, but he doesn't have the charisma, uh, you know. And um, I, I just, I really felt sorry for Tommy Doherty because I did, I did think at the time, you know, as a young, as a young man, well. As a young person, you know he was going. He was going places with the United team, but it, it's just very, very, very sad to, to lose somebody like that. A good, a good right. manager, and it's another character gone from the game. And like, like you said, you know, I know it probably wasn't unexpected because he'd been ill for a while. You know, I'm I'm sure the McManamy household was quite upset, you know, at hearing of his death. I would imagine so. Yeah, I would imagine so. He was irrepressible, outspoken and often controversial. But um yeah, I'm rest in peace. Sad. Rest in peace, Tommy Doherty, a manager of many clubs, quips, anecdotes and one liners. And big condolences to your family and rest in peace, Tommy Doherty. Right. Moving on to the next story in the section today which is the news of another footballing great, the sad loss of Colin Bell, age 74. After a short illness, the Premier League club announced that Man City legend Colin Bell has died. The former England midfielder made 501 appearances for City between 1966 and 79, scoring 153 goals and won 48 caps for his country. Few players have left such an indelible mark on City, said a club statement on Tuesday. He was known affectionately as Nijinsky, which... um. He's an absolutely fantastic name to be called, um, obviously after the racehorse, but not because he's a racehorse, Mark, but because of his style of play and how good a player style, he was. Yeah, it was definitely the style of play, mate. Um, that tremendous footballer, really. Um, the, th- the thing as well to say is he was known as the king, king of Main Road. Um, he'll remain the king of Main Road. I mean, I, I don't personally think there was, there was anybody to touch him as a city player, really, um, yeah, uh, you know, I'd, I'd said on our radio show that basically, you know, United had, you know, Law, Best, and Charlton. Well, City at the time had Francis Lee, uh, Mike Summerby, and Colin Bell. You know, and Colin Bell was the linchpin. I mean, the the thing that I want to point out about him was was there wasn't a domestic honour that. Colin Bell didn't win League Cup, FA Cup, First Division. It's interesting. interesting. You're absolutely right about the honours. It's interesting as well because um, for anybody who obviously in the modern modern people, modern day people wouldn't know an awful lot about Colin Bell. Um, He's actually been likened to, if you want a sort of rough idea of how good a player he was, Kevin De Bruyne has been likened to the way Colin Bell was as a player. And there's a lot of similarities apparently. So, you know, you're talking a very good player there. If you're comparing him to, if you're comparing Kevin De Bruyne to Colin Bow, then it shows you how good a footballer Colin Bow was. Yeah, 
no, and then that that's not a bad comparison to be fair, but but you know, Colin Bell was a standout player in his own right. Yeah. Um, hey. You know, and and all I would say as well, Mark, is like, you know, he won European Cup winners cups, I think, as well, or he he won a few European titles. So, you know, um, as I say, he was he was an artist of the, as a footballer. You know, like like you said, I mean, he was named after. You know, his nickname was Najinsky after the racehorse, and you know, it he was a maestro. You know, pulling strings. And just he he looked fabulous on the ball. He just looked fabulous on the ball, you know. With Gary, one of those, Gary Lineker, one of those players that catches your eye. Yeah, former England striker Gary Lineker actually said that Barrow was one of his favourite players when he was growing up. He said, "Terrific box box midfielder, a real gem for Man City in England." The Times chief football writer Henry Winter said he oozed class, skill, and glamour as he was flowing across rutted pitches taking people on, creating and scoring. And floating across right pitches is probably where the uh, likeness to Nijinsky came in, obviously. Yes, no, very much so, very much so. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, another legend for England and another legend of the game that we've lost very sadly this year. Yeah. Um, it's been a year for that, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, huge condolences to Colin Bell's family and uh, rest in peace, Colin Bell, Man City, great. Very, very much so, yeah, very much so. Enjoy your... Enjoy your retirement in the sky, Nijinsky. And Colin Barrow will always be the king of Man City, says Michael Richards, which I think is a really good tribute from, from the club themselves. <clears throat> right, moving on with some slightly more uh, slightly more upbeat news. And news of the Burnley takeover. ALK Capital completed the deal by buying an 84% controlling stake in Burnley. Um, and also, very promptly, the chairman came out immediately and had a little bit of a dig at Saints and the fact they've ruined their academy in the last five years. But... um. That's a slightly different side note, but good news for Burnley, who've been waiting for this to go through forever, Mark, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, it, look, the bottom line is it's good good news for the supporters. It's good news for Sean Dyche. You know, hopefully the fact that takeovers happened, that will give them a little bit of money, you know, in the transfer market. Um, okay, I, do, I, do work, I do worry slightly that they are an equity firm, but... You know, I feel real. I, I would be reassured as a Burnley fan in the sense that, you know, the new owner has said that he's going to actually live in the community, which, yep. you know, I, you know, that that's a big statement of intent, and, you know, I hope that that's the case because obviously, yeah, in, in modern football, especially if you're one of the smaller clubs in the Premier League, it's really really important that you have that link between. You know, whether it be owners, players, managers, yep. you know, and the supporters themselves, you know. So if he's well, going to he... live, if he, if he's going to go and live in the town, fair play to him. But I would also yep. say that will be a bit of a culture shock for him if he's not already in there. <laughs> well, in fairness, he also needs to do uh, definitely spend a bit of time in the community before he ends up living in the community. Because at the moment, he, um, all he knows is where Taff Moore is in the local supermarket. So um, certainly need to invest a bit of time in learning a bit more about the community at the moment. I'm, I'm sorry. But, yeah. but, but, I mean, hang on. I mean, Mark, at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's coming in the a situation that he doesn't know a lot about. So fair enough. He, do, he, know, he knows, you know, where the, where the club is that he's bought and he knows where the local supermarket is. Yeah. I mean, what else does he need to know at the moment? 
well, he's promised that it will be a unique way of running a football club and that nobody's seen anything, anything like him before. So that'd be, inter- be interesting to see him put his money where his mouth is, as the saying goes. <laughs> I, I was slightly worried by that statement. I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder what he's planning to implement that, that's <laughs> going to set him apart from everybody else. You've got to ask the question. You know, it does make you, it does make you wonder. <laughs> you know, it's a bit bit of a strange statement to be coming out with. I mean, the, the thing is, as well, you know, you mentioned about you know having a slight ticket dig at the, you know, the Saints Academy. And yeah. there is probably a little bit of validity there as well. But at the same yeah. time, you know, this is a guy coming from the States in the yeah. pre- Premier League football, you know, and he's passing, you know, comment or, you know, judgment call, whatever you want to call it, you know, on, on Southampton Football Club. I mean, Mate, does, Mate, he, does he wonder if he... Really, does he know the mileage between the two places, Burnley and Southampton? The thing is, it makes you wonder if he actually made an offer for Southampton Football Club and they told him where to stick it. Because, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? It was, like, well, it was a bit of a strange strange remark to make because that's got no connection to Burnley whatsoever. So I was a little bit surprised by that. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, Something all, that wasn't surprising. All, I would, all I would say is I, I am worried for, the, for Burnley slightly. It, you know, just a little bit, not not overly concerned in the sense that it does sound like it's a bit of a bit of a hedge fund sort of thing as well, you know, in the sense of like where's the actual investment coming from? And I did notice that obviously they've just took a controlling stake. They haven't actually bought the club outright. Maybe there was people that didn't want to sell their stake though. So yeah, you know, I'm just taking his red, but. 170 million for an 84 percent stake, and don't forget, um, obviously Southampton was sold for I think it was what was it 200 210 million to Mr. Gow, who's invested absolutely zero. So, um, you know, not a lot of difference between 170 and 200 odd. So, um, yeah, be very wary, Burnley fans, is all I would say. But, but uh, you know, it'll be in, I think it's the case of Mark, uh, you know, I wouldn't be wary about it because at the end of the day, look. The, the thing is, is Burnley were probably the last side in the Premier League where you had a board that were local businessmen, right? Yeah. An absolute throwback, okay? Yeah. So you would say that obviously the new ownership is, is you know, it's a better place for the club to be. But obviously, yeah. you know, you're slightly wrestling because it is sort of, you're sort of thinking to yourself, well, where, where's all the money going to be coming from? But... Yeah. You know, he says he's going to do things slightly different and people have never seen, you know, anything like him before. So, you know, let's see what he's going to bring to the Burnley party. Absolutely right. So we move on from there. And um seems this has read its head again, Mark. You can't criticise referees. Wolves boss Nuno Espirito Santo has been charged by the FA over his comments regards to Lee Mason. Um, he basically said after the two undefeated Burnley on 21st November, uh, December, sorry, that Mason... It's not good enough for his comments. The FA alleges comments constitute improper conduct and they were personally offensive to Mason. Lee Mason himself hasn't said anything as far as I'm aware. So, um, yes, naughty boy Nuno, how dare you criticise the referee? Quite clearly, the referees are above the law. I've, this winds me up because why should they be above the law, Mark? The FA players are going to be accountable for their actions, then the officials should be as well. It really winds me up. I mean, They're I'll- absolutely beyond reproach, aren't they? All, all I would say is is that ju- just 
a quick update on that one. So he got charged and he was actually fined £25,000 um, for the comments. So, but but all, but all I would say, Mark, is is like, I'm in agreement with him about Lemius now. I, I actually think he's, he's not poor Premier League officials. Yeah. But, but anyway, the thing is, is, you know, I agree that, the, the, you know, you have situations now where managers give pre-press conferences, they give post-press conferences. You know, you've got players giving, giving post-match, you know, interviews and everything else. So, you know, given given that referees now have everything available to them, you know, on, yep. you know, on the pitch in terms of VAR, goal line technology, you know, you name it, they've got it. I do, I do think that when, you know, there is more controversial decisions, then yes, I do, I do think that, you know, referees should be allowed by the FA because I, I'm assuming it's an FA thing. It's not that the referees probably wouldn't want to, well, some may not want to tell you what's going on, but I'm sure there's ones that would. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the thing is, is I, I do believe, you know, I said this to you, I do believe that in, uh, you know, a few years' time, this will be the norm. You know, referees will be in front of the yeah. cameras and they will be explaining their decisions. See, and so they should be. It, what annoys me is, like, Damn it, Gallagher on the Saints game, they were talking about talking to him about the Saints game decisions made in there. He was reviewing the VAR, VAR situations that occurred in that game. It, it took him 10 to 15 seconds to study the video and come to a conclusion. Why on earth does it take a referee three and a half minutes to decide on the pitch without even bothering to look at a monitor half the time? I mean, it, it, it makes a mockery to me that they don't go to, you know, the, so, yep. the decisions that do go to the monitor. You know, in the same games, decisions that do go to the monitor and then other decisions that won't go to the monitor and you're sat there going, I thought the Yates were all there to help you to come to the right decision at the end of the day. The thing is, if I'm not mistaken, part of the reason they brought it in was the inconsistency in decisions previous to that. Now yeah. you've got even more inconsistency. So it's made the whole situation ten times worse. Oh. <laughs> uh. Modern technology is brilliant when it works and you use it properly. It's rubbish when you don't. <laughs> well, no, it's not rubbish when you don't. It's just um, not being used. Well, let's be honest, it's rubbish full stop, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Do away with it. Get rid of it. We don't like VAR. It's horrible. I'm, I'm anyway. a VAR fan. It goes more for sales than it goes against. Yeah, that's true. No, I can't argue that. Yeah, well, you and I have both been at games where we've had the crowd going, VAR, VAR. No, it's not the new hero. Junior Stanislas has been the victim of racist abuse, Mark. Oh, it's just raised its ugly head again. I, the thing is, is, mate, I will not stop raising this on our show until Sorry. until it's stamped out, until the people who, who you know, right. spout that sort of vile hatred, really, oh, for people. Oh, despair. Oh, despair. The fact it still goes on. You know, until they're until they're sort of eradicated from the sport, you know, whether it's a supporter yeah. or whatever, you know, because obviously we're we're noticing that you know it does seem to be supporters of other clubs and stuff like that. But why, you know, I I just I can't get my head around the fact that 
you know, there's been footballers, black footballers playing in this country now, right, in, in significant numbers since the 80s, okay? And, you know, the thing is, is like, they, they're part of their team and you want to see the best players. I mean, and the be- a lot of the best players are black. Um, you know, let's be brutally honest about it. You know, a lot, a lot, lot, lot of the best players are black. And I want to see the bad. I don't know about you, but I want to see the best players. Yeah, I do. And I want to see these people that are disbanded. And my take on it is very simple. If you're going to go along to a game and do that, do us all a favour. Go elsewhere and give your head a damn good wobble. Grow up a bit and stop doing it. But but like I said, I won't stop. If these articles keep appearing, I won't stop bringing it up on this podcast until it's stamped out completely. You know, people say say education's the key, and that's that's true. But the thing is, is it's about it's about you know re-education and respect for one another. You know, and showing a bit of love, showing a bit of love and humanity. Unfortunately, there's not enough of that. Not enough of that goes on. Unfortunately. Anyway, moving on to Fleetwood Town. Well, there is this household. Joey <laughs> yeah, Joey Barton, Fleetwood Town boss, leaves the League One club with immediate effect. He's left them tenth in the uh, yeah tenth in the table, um, three points off the playoff places. See, the Joey Barton, is Fleetwood, Mark. The thing is, is what what I'm trying to work out here is that. Um, Joey Barton's gone, okay? And I can't work out whether it's because the owner has invested significant money, right? And he feels that the current position that they're in, you know, isn't a great return for the money that he's invested, okay? Or is it the antics off the field of Joey Barton? He's, He's caused a few flashpoints before now, in the tunnel, you know. Yeah, at, I would at Fleetwood. Yeah, I would say it's probably that. You know, and and the thing is, is in his career, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, inter- interestingly, interestingly, I've got to tell you, one of the people being linked to the job at Fleetwood Town is none other than James Beattie. I wish him all the best if he gets it. You know. Like, personally, I wish he'd come back to St Mary's as a, as a, a striking coach, but there you go. Uh, well, you and I both, you and I both, oh, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll be interested to see where if, if he turns up somewhere else, you know, Joey Barton, I'll be interested to see if he turns up somewhere else. But, um, you know, you, you just, you, you wonder whether it was just the, the owner basically turning around and saying, you know, we haven't achieved as much as I thought we would with the money invested, you know, and he because he has said that there there will be a slight change in direction from what they were doing before. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see what happens at Fleetwood, certainly. Right, we'll move on now to Wigan Athletic. The takeover of the administration club has hit uh, has broken down. The prospective takeover of Wigan Athletic by Legan's owner, Philip Moreno, has fallen through. The club's administrators announced they'd ended negotiations with him on Tuesday morning. They said in a statement the bid had been reduced by almost 50% over the weekend, and proceeding with it would have resulted in a 15-point deduction for the League One club. 
Moreno had initially been part of a Spanish consortium looking to buy the club before the English Football League rejected their application at the start of December because one of the group was subject to a disqualifying condition. He subsequently became the sole bidder. It had been hoped the deal would be completed at some point between Christmas and the 1st of January. Manager Paul Cook left over the summer and his replacement John Sheridan also quit to take over at Twindon Town. The administrators, who understood to still be looking for about three million for the club, added they were now starting to talk to other bidders who've expressed interest and will provide an update when there is any definite news. And anybody who doesn't know, Leganes or Legans is the club that Guido Carrillo went to loan on from Southampton. Yeah, I mean, look, the bottom the bottom line here, Mark, is that you know he's basically uh, gone on a loan to try and buy the football club. Obviously, he had a consortium with them. Um, you know, people dropped by the wayside for whatever reason. Hence the fact that, you know, the amount of money that was involved and the percentage involved dropped drastically. And yeah. then obviously the administrators just basically thought to themselves, well, it's the last man standing and he's only offering 50%, you know, buying 50% of the club. I mean, it, it's not an ideal deal for any of the people of Wigan that are supporters of the football club, that's for sure. I think they managed to find a bar and they wrap it up very quickly so that the club can hopefully rediscover some of their form glory. That's all we can hope for for them, oh, don't we? Move, move the club forward, but it doesn't help that the administrators keep appointing people and they keep walking away for supposed better jobs, you know? I, I, just, I just think that the supporters deserve better than that, you know, the supporters of Wigan, because... When you think about it, they've kept the club afloat for the last, what, eight months? Seven yeah. months, six okay. months, whatever it is. Right, moving on to the last story in this section. Motherwell's Stephen Robinson resigns as manager, saying, I've taken it as far as I can. Yeah, I mean, I was I was really shocked by this, Mark, I've got to say. Um, I, I'd be interested to see if Stephen Robinson's going to cut his teeth south of the border. Or whether he, you know, he might go for another job if one becomes available in Scotland. Um, yeah. Certainly, I'd say that he done a brilliant job for Motherwell, and and I dare say there's a few maybe lower league clubs in this country that would be quite happy to have him as a manager. Yeah. Uh, I've 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 noticed today that uh, just a quick update on it. Um, Graham Alexander has actually gone to Motherwell. And he was previously manager at Salford City. Wow. So, but, you know, I, I'm not sure he's going to have the same impact as, uh, as Steve Robinson because, as I say, that, you know, at Fir Park, they're on a fairly tight budget at Motherwell, you know. Yep. Well, they've had a degree of success in the time he's been there. So let's hope the next person brings as, as much success as he, as he has. No, Definitely. Right, that brings us to the end of that section. So we're going to take the last break of today's show, and when we come back, we'll be doing Saints Transfer News. Fiesta 95FM, The Two Saints Show. Right, welcome back, everybody. So Saints in the press, Saints Transfer News. Possible ins. Southampton have been linked with Leicester City's Hamza Chowdhury. Southampton could hand Birmingham City an unexpected cash windfall as the race for Damari Gray holds up. Southampton want Man United's Brandon Williams on loan. Man United, following on from that, refused Southampton's loan offer for Brandon Williams. And should Southampton bring Callum Chambers back to St Mary's? Those are the possible ins, Mark. Right. So basically, let, let's go back to the top story. 
So the top story, I believe, is Mr. Chowdhury to start yep. off with. Um, now, I have, to, I have to say, I'm slightly keen to have him on board, mate. I, yep. uh, the, the, the thing is, is I worry in terms of cover, uh, you know, in the central midfield berths, obviously, Will Smallbone was, was looking like he was going to be the person um, but unfortunately, because things have gone on a little bit per shape for him on the injury front since the start of the season, we haven't seen him. Um, and, and and I do feel that maybe, you know, because Le- Leicester obviously want to try and give him a bit of game time because he's not getting any game time at Leicester. And maybe, you know, the thing is, is I, I do think that it would be a good option for Saints just to bring him in for the six months. Get him in. Definitely get him in for me. Um, yeah, it's for me. It's just it's one of those signings you look at it and think it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, like I said, that that's all I'm going to say about it. I mean, I would. Yeah. It, it's for six months. You know, it's a little bit of extra cover. You yeah. know, the thing is, the thing is, is if if the club have pretensions of, you know, maybe trying to get them secure themselves a European berth. You know, the thing is, is We'll, we'll learn that from five and even four years ago when we were in good positions in the Premier League, you know, we, we didn't actually look to enhance the side, you know, or the squad in either of those transfer markets, you know. And I, and I think I'm right in saying that five years ago we were in the top four. I, can't, I don't remember exactly where we were four years ago, but, you know, we finished sixth that season. And... You know, we didn't really, we didn't really row the boat out. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about any significant money here. We're just talking about a loan agreement till the end of the season. Yep, absolutely right. Yeah, and I think, um, obviously the rate, the race is um heating up for Damari Gray. Um, I'd like to see him in, Mark. I think we should get him in as well. Although, um, I was reading something yesterday where they were saying that they felt that Saints were going to try and hold out and get him for a free in um in the summer. But I'd rather see them bring him in now, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think I think I would actually work because I, I just think that if you, you know, if they agree some sort of loan fee to take over his contract till the end of the season, it might actually prove to cost less money. I just I just think if he joins us on a free, you know, he might he might be looking for bumper incentives. Yep. That's the only thing, and I yep. worry that we might price ourselves out of a move from, you know, the guy the guy. I mean. He was on our radar, I mean, I said about five years ago, but he was on our radar five years ago as a 19-year-old. And yeah. We didn't move from them, sadly. And, I mean, he's only 24 now. He's got the relevant sort of Premier League experience. And, you know, the thing is, is it, it's, it's basically giving you options in the wide berth as well. You know, plus some, you know, Leicester a lot of the time too, you know, deployed him as a, as a striker. So, you know, I, I still think he's got a lot to offer. And if we could do a deal for him in the summer, you know, I'd be very happy. I, I don't, and, and I, you know, like you, I read the same article and I, I am now convinced that we won't actually make a move for him in the, in the January, which is disappointing because he could have <laughs> helped us with our push. Yeah, and I could see somebody else snapping him up, to be fair. And it would be yet another target we missed out on, wouldn't it? 
Exactly. Yeah, that'd be a real shame. And talking to targets we missed out on, um, obviously we've been interested in bringing Brandon Williams in. But uh, lo and behold, Ollie Gunner Solskjaer has decided to help out, out, help out his old mate, bit the old boys club going on there, I can't help but think. Decided to wrap out his old mate Steve Bruce and agreed to let Brandon Williams go to Newcastle. Well, it would it would certainly it would certainly appear that way, or he may be staying at Manchester United. But either way, Mark, you know, I'm fairly confident that he won't be coming to Southampton now. Me too. And it's disappointing. Yeah. Another disappointment. Yeah. So we move on to the last one. Callum Chambers, should he be brought back to St Mary's? Um, for me, I don't think it would be a massive gamble because it would be cover at centre-off because he can't play there. So for me, I don't think it's a massive issue. Um, although part of me does also think, should we really bring back former players? Because I'm not always convinced that's the way you should be going. But that's just a personal thing. Well, all I'll, all I'll say is I've never been a supporter of Brigham Home. Never a supporter of it, and I I think I actually think there is enough adequate cover at centre half. Yep. So what would be the point in bringing him in on loan? I mean, obviously this stems from you know basically Arteta, you know, released basically releasing a a, a statement where he yep. basically said that he would be looking to trim the squad, and obviously. You know, Callum Chambers has more or less appeared on that list. But in terms of Southampton being interested in sending them, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I genuinely don't think of we're even interested in them. And that covers all the possible ins. So we'll move on now to the possible outs. Stoke City Swansea and Swansea City target. Michael Obafemi is to stay put at Southampton after a recent injury blow. So um, we're led to believe that the advanced talks were going on about him possibly moving to Swansea on loan. Um, lo and behold, he's picked up a muscle injury and won't be going anywhere. I mean, fair, fair enough. He's picked up a muscle injury. He's not going anywhere. But the thing is, is he, he isn't... I don't think this is the environment for him to learn. And I no. think when, when he is fit again, and maybe it might be before the close of the window, who knows? But yeah. when he is fit again, you know, Saints should definitely look at loading him out. I mean, the thing is, is, you know, it's ironic that obviously people are showing an interest in Dan Lindley and wanting to take him on, on loan this month, Mark, yeah. right? And yet Dan Lindley has, has gone well ahead in the packing order. Well, you know, uh, of Michael on the you know, before Michael on the family, so it, you know, it's it's interesting times, but again, disappointing that he's. I mean, the thing is, is I I I haven't made a decision on Michael on the family, but I do believe that he needs to go out on loan and be in a different environment and learn his trade. Yeah, and another player who's been looking at possibly um exiting the club in January, Jan Valerie. Um, it seems that he's become somewhat of an outcast under Saints boss Ralph Hasenhutl. Obviously, featured against Liverpool, did quite well when he came on. Um, as such, the Frenchman's, Frenchman's believed to be considering his future at the club and is prepared to move on from the south coast to secure more playing time. Um, I don't think a lone move would do him any harm, Mike. Like Obafemi, I think um, he he probably does need to um, move somewhere else to get a bit of playing time. Um, who knows? Maybe he can go back to France. Maybe he can get close to his family. Um and play there for a while. Maybe that will help him out. But he certainly needs to sort himself out a little bit, doesn't he? Um, 
But there's also talk that he's been offered to Schalke as well. Which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, it would definitely be a case of, you know, loan him back to a club in France, but going to Schalke would be complete madness because yeah. that's an absolute basket case of a club at the moment. So sending him there would be detrimental to his career. But the I'll thing, of, the thing I'm going to say to you, Mark, is there is an update there because apparently so far, well. Ralph Hasenhutl is now saying that because we can't get Brand, you know, the Brandon Williams deal doesn't look like it's going to be happening. Okay, so apparently that's offset by Ralph basically turning around and saying that he is now not intending to basically loan or even sell Jan Valerie in this window. Yeah, so that's there may be there may be a, a lot of bridge building going on, and you never know. He, he might be part of the furniture come the end right, of the okay. season. Okay, he's not made any appearances as such, but he came on against Liverpool and to be fair, he performed quite well, didn't he? So yeah, you know, it's nothing. He was excellent, mate. He did he did his job the T like you know. Okay, right. So moving on to the last story about possible outs, and this is Josh Sims has been linked with QPR. Um, probably not a bad move for him, Mark. He's not. Getting any play time at Saints, is he? Um, it looks as though Saints' career has come to an end, unfortunately. Um, he's given us that great memory from the semi final where he laid that chance on for Shane Long to put us to Wembley, as Dave, um, Dave Merrington and Adam Blackmore famously said. Shane Long put us to Wembley. Um, yeah, it looks as though his time at Saints is over, Mark, possibly. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, being a, a dedicated away fan as well, or supporter as well, you know, he, he, he provided me with my best ever sort of Saints away game, which was obviously that, that you know, went over Liverpool in the League Cup. But um, yeah. at, Am- at Anfield, obviously we won the home leg as well. But right. just just on just on Josh Sims, I mean, I, I just think it's a sad state of affairs. I genuinely think, given what's going on at the club at the minute, he is one of the people that genuinely still in my opinion, has a lot to offer our football club. But but I will say this, Mark, in Ralph I trust. And if Ralph feels that he's not he's not good enough for whatever reason or he feels that he wants to cash in on him, so be it. Because yeah, the, the, the thing is, is we will need the money at some point to invest in other players, whether that's loans or transfer fees for, you know, or signing on fees for Damari Gray during the summer. You know, it's regrettable because I'm a, I'm a Josh Sims fan. But, you know, as I said to you, you know, for whatever reason, Ralph doesn't fancy him. And if Ralph decides to sell him, then so be it. Because, yeah, as I say, our motto, our motto as supporters, you know, is in Ralph for trust. And yeah, I can't stress that enough. No, I agree with you 100%. That's exactly that. You know, in Ralph, we do trust. We trusted him before, and he hasn't let us down yet, has he? No. So, anyway, that brings us very nicely to the end of today's Two Saints podcast show with myself, Mark C, and my co-host, Mark H. So all that's left to say is goodbye from myself. Yep. Goodbye, everybody. Take care of one another. Keep well and stay safe. Just to remind you all, you can contact us via our email address, the Two Saints Podcast Show at Outlook.com, for questions or items you'd like to hear in future shows. 
You can listen to the radio show on Fiesta 95FM in Southampton and via onlineradiobox.com. Also, the Two Saints podcast show is now available via Spotify, Overcast, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and or via our Facebook page, The Two Saints Show and our YouTube channel, The Two Saints Podcast Show. So all that's left for me to say is please join us again next week when The Two Saints go marching in again.